Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome to Black Hole Cinema, episode 29. Once again, I'm your host for this evening, Emma Louise Platt. And in a change to our scheduled lineup, joining me this evening is Mr. Tony Black. Hello, everybody. I'm not even going to ask. No, I don't, you, roll, I don't, you roll with that. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to roll <laughs> just with feel that. It. <laughs> also, back again is Chris Haig. Hello, Chris. Hi. Hi. So we were supposed to have Ian Austin on this evening talking about Insidious 3, but due to unforeseen technical difficulties, he is not joining us tonight. But we do have a new section to the podcast, which is the Dead Meat section, which will be hosted by myself, which is almost like a crash course in horror. But it will, it's going to consist of some film reviews and some academic theory. And I hope you're all taking notes because there will be a test. Not really, not really. No, the will, they probably will. No, no, the will, the will, and I'll yeah. be really pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, the technical difficulties Ian had um, is that he's been possessed. Yeah, he yes. has been possessed by um, Pazu, so yeah. if you can find an old priest, Pazu a young priest, good. that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. That would be good. It yeah. would be really good. Um, he, uh... what you get when you read out of the bad book, you know what I mean? If it's written in Latin, don't fucking read it. I've got to say, Ian, why did you take the Necronomicon? Why? Why? What the fuck? That's supposed to work. What the hell? That's the demon leaving him. Yeah, yeah. we saved him. Yeah. Ian, we were gonna we were gonna suggest that the reason you couldn't come on um, was because you've been possessed by the devil. So we're gonna run with that. Okay. Ooh, that that's definitely being possessed by the devil. He's still possessed. Yeah. Banish out, demon out! <laughs> Ilkia, the, the power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Ilkia, the Lafinestra. <laughs> Do you realise what I'm saying? I'm saying in Italian. I believe in the window. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm genuinely learning Italian. It's all I can think of at the moment. That's an amazing. We failed to, you know, save Ian, so we'll try again later, hopefully. Yes, we yeah. did try and exercise the demon, but the power of the internet was too strong for us. It was. It was. Maybe it's because we're all heathens. That, that's, well, you certainly are. I'm not a heathen, I'm a Catholic. Oh, yeah, you, sir. Not, not you, not you, Chris. The, Thank the, you. She, she <laughs> you who shall not be named. About. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Come on for this bullshit every week. I've got my boyfriend for, I get this crap off him. <laughs> anyway, we'll also be talking about Spy, which is uh, Melissa McCarthy's new comedy. 
which I believe Chris and Tony have both seen, which will be interesting. We're also going to be doing some box office figures and talking some movie news. It's a little bit of a new a new format, isn't it, Tony? Rejigged it a little bit. Yeah, slightly. What? There was a voice back. back from the pit. This is ridiculous. My microphone's not working, so I can remove it and then start working again. <sighs> so it seems we have successfully exercised the demons from Ian, and he's now joining yeah. us. For now. For now. I, uh, I will elaborate on what we originally said, which was um, the format change. It's a slightly, slightly me pillaging from uh, other and dare I say, better podcasts who organise things slightly better. Well, critics! Um, which is basically... Yeah, hello, guys. Yeah, and they, they have more of a system and order to it, and I thought that, that that's a good idea. So um, what we've done already is brilliant, but I think we can we can do a little bit more. So we're going to try and keep to a format every week. And, yeah, this is the test run. So if it goes horribly wrong... Blame Emma. Took the words right out of my mouth. How did she know? It's... Because I just know the kind of crap I'm going to get off you every time I talk to you. I'm used to it now. That's true. We've known each other long enough. Really uh, so, before Tony gets a chance to abuse me anymore, make me really angry, yeah. maybe reach through the internet and strangle you. Oh. Uh, what's your movie news, Tony? Come on. Impress me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, this isn't going to impress you. Nothing <laughs> just, impresses no, me. No, no. On. Well, there's a couple of things. It's not. It's been a fairly quiet week, uh, to be honest. But a couple of things have caught my eye. I think the first one is... The big furore, 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 whichever, however you say it, uh, about this new FIFA movie now called United Passions. Now, ah, okay, um, yeah, snigger. Obviously, you, more than likely, you've been following FIFA um, in the news about everything, and uh, you know all the horrible corruption of Set Blatter and his crew, uh, and wonderfully. They have decided that this is the perfect time to release a movie about the, movie, <laughs> the origins of FIFA um, called United Passions, which, as I was on Fail Critics a few days ago, and as we said, it sounds like a Channel 5 porn film. <laughs> uh, which is it true. really does. It does. Um, so it, uh, it has set Tim Roth as Set Blatter, a young Set Blatter, ah. Gerard Depardieu as Jules Remay, although quite honestly, he looks more like the staple of Marshmallow Man. Um, in the trailer, <laughs> he really does. And uh, Sam Neill as um, Joel Havilland. These are all like you know founding fathers of modern football. And you know, so really, really good actors. You know, in in a film that has been described by critics uh, as cinematic excrement. Oh, lovely. Um, yes. Oh. Um, the Guardian said, even without the current headlines, United Passions is a disgrace. <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> It's less a movie than preposterous self-hagiography, more appropriate for Scientology, or the Reverend Sun Myung Moon. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, that is an so, epic. Oh, yeah. God. It's, so it's I wonder if it's going to be better or worse than that Grace of Monaco that came I, I, out last year. I, it could be worse. I mean, it, <laughs> it really could. Even the, old, even the screenwriter came out a couple of weeks ago and saying, yeah, it was an awful film. I thought complete shit. It was yeah. like Zach Penn level, but you know. I just love the fact that it's like 
it's come out now, though. I mean, if ever there was a mm. worst time to release a film... <laughs> oh, basically, the best time. Come on. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, quite honestly, it, it's possibly genius because loads of people are going to watch this film now just to, to go, what yeah. the fuck? Because you're basically just turning around and saying all these people were, you know, oh, legends and heroes. And, oh, yeah, let's ignore the FBI investigation um, and the fact they... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. So I've got to say, I think we should all watch... United Passions, even if we don't like football. I mean, I, I'm a fan of football. Yeah. And I know, Emma, you, you, you're you you're in Liverpool, so you've got no choice. No. Um, yeah. So it's it's easy, like... if you don't pick yeah. a team. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I think it's got to be seen now. It's got to be seen. Just to point and laugh at it. I just want to say, this sounds much better than Sidious 3, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Can I make the point, though? And my lawyers have told me to say this. They always bring in my ear. This is all substantial. There is no proof that uh, <laughs> Sepp Blatter or any of the people oh, yeah. are... Uh, for now. Yes, a disclaimer. Yeah, for now. So, so this is all allegedly... Allegedly, allegedly Sepp taking bribes so yes um, we may we may well review United Passions on the podcast I fucking hope we do that'd be great fun um, in the future because it's not actually come out everywhere yet I think it's come out in Serbia though um, obviously because that's the first place to release anything football capital of the world football capital yeah. of the world Beyond that, um, like I say, it's, it's been fairly quiet. There has been possible like ideas about who Martin Freeman is playing in Captain America 3. They're oh. saying now he might be playing the uh, the United Kingdom Prime Minister, um, Prime called Minister. Edward Chase. And originally he was supposed to be, the rumour was that he was going to be Everett Ross, who's a poss- the possible big bad of Black Panther. Because he ties into, um, he's a policy advisor for the U.S. government on Wakanda. But it, so there's two, but they reckon he's playing because Kevin Feige has confirmed he's not playing a superhero, so he's going to be somebody else. I want to um, imagine him as a superhero. No, no he's too short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. So I we'll have to keep an eye on um, on Martin Freeman with that. And then the other, I other thing, I have a bit of news. Oh, oh, no, I just on, found out. Apparently. Eddie the Eagle is angry because he says 97 the movie based on him that's going to come out is made up. Oh, really? Should be lucky he's got a fucking movie, really. (laughs) Did it say, Ian, what exactly the film was made up of, if it's 90% made up? I I, I just looked at the headline and didn't actually get into it for a second. (laughs) 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 This was like 15 minutes ago, so... (laughs) Oh, I briefly remember he needed a news story, and I went straight for Eddie Eagle. Well, there were worse <laughs> places to go. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the other, like, you know, the 90% is going to be for that one. The only other last one I was going to say is that um, there was the uh, question over why Josh Trank had quit the Star Wars anthology film that he was uh, he was going to do. Um, and there was a lot of questions about how, because obviously Josh Trank is uh, the Chronicle director who, who's doing Fantastic Four, which is out in a couple of months yay um, yeah should be interesting and then it's a shame everyone was like oh he's, he's left Star Wars no rumours that he was being a bit of a diva and he was you know okay being... nuts yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's basically turned around and said well the reason is because I didn't want to do anything that was too like I've spent too, like years developing something that's not my own and I want to do something of my own a bit a bit like, like Joss Whedon like, like Joss Whedon yeah who's turned around and gone let me do something small scale so maybe the pressure of, of doing something so enormous and which is rumoured to be about Boba Fett and Han Solo he's just got to him and he's gone shit I can't do this for my third film 
because it is a pretty steep climb from doing a really sort of low budget chronicle which is a very good film but doing that and then you suddenly have got Fantastic Four and then you do Star I mean Jesus Christ yeah. like four, four yeah. or five years you go from that to Star Wars I mean, yeah so I don't care about Star Wars well th- oh, we don't okay. care about you but you know we you, have to you do don't lie. Oh, yeah. Tell me horrible lies because you do, and you know you do. Okay. No, no, no. no. If you don't care about Star Wars, I don't yeah. care about you. Liar. So. Anyway, I have some film news. Okay. Mark oh, your cool. calendars. July twenty second, two thousand and sixteen. Ghostbusters three. Ooh. <gasps> now, now, is this the Paul Feig one? It is. It's now, the... I'm much, much more excited about this after watching Spy, which we'll get to in a bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not going to get into all the uh, neckbeards on the internet complaining about the old female cast because that's stupid. <laughs> they are stupid and they're trying to personally ruin my childhood for me. Did you just call them neckbeards? I love that. I'm stealing that. I go on Reddit a lot, okay? It's a Reddit word. Reddit is oh, me. I don't, I don't go on Reddit. That's I amazing. Do. But yeah, it's July next year and I am looking forward to it. It's got a great cast. And I know we were talking about this last week a little bit about why why can't they just rip off Ghostbusters because it's got an all-female cast to keep people happy. But then you'd go see if it was a rip-off and go, why don't they just make another Ghostbusters film? I don't yeah. care. As long as, as long as fucking Kanye West doesn't cover the theme song and it's left alone. <laughs> that will make me stab someone and that someone will probably poor Michael because I'll make it. Michael is going with well, and Michael is going in costume whether Michael likes it or not and this <laughs> him hearing this is the first time he knows about this but he loves me so he will can I just, can I just point out that Michael is Emma's boyfriend and not some sort of weird ah, imaginary friend who I'll she, be honest when with you her. said Michael I thought Myers like the serial <laughs> killer <laughs> so well, originally like... You know, originally I thought Aspel. You know, we, we all we all have our Michaels that we, we <laughs> can confirm that my boyfriend is not a serial killer. To my not Michael Aspel. Yeah. Or Michael yeah. Aspel. But yeah, um, I... I don't mind if they do change the theme. So not change it, but it'd be good if someone like did a decent no. cover of it, like someone like Janelle Monae, maybe like a, or get a, a female singer to no, do it. No, just leave it the fuck alone. No, they won't. No, they won't. Come they on. It needs to, do- it know, needs to be upstated. It needs dubstep, that's all I can say. Oh, no, no, no. I know, I know they're not going to leave it alone, and I know, like, it's going to be horrible. They've already and... done it to Annie, let's be honest. They, they danced on Annie's grave as much as I, like, see her. It was just like, you're never fully dressed. And it's like, no, stop it. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. Does it smack, a, smack someone's hand with a ruler? No, Jay-Z, get away, shoot. Oh, God, Jay-Z, yeah. Jay-Z might do it with Beyonce, some sort of duet, and that'll be oh, the point oh, when yeah. I just... Start screaming and ripping up no, chairs and listen, my cat. Listen, I just love the idea that Beyonce would have been like, if there's something strange, and the neighbor. You'll be like rapping and shit. It could yeah. get worse. It could be far worse than this. It could. <gasps> the Dilla Rice? Like well, no. no you say to... you're going to say the B word, aren't you? Nice. Yes, it could. It could. Uh, oh, what, is the, what is the B word? You know what the B word is. B word, Beaver. No. Bieber. It could. He could be the bad guy, you know? Don't say his name in the mirror five times or you'll show up and sing shitty songs at you. Baby, 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 kill it with fire. I, don't, I love kill it with fire. I use it for everything. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, if it's, if it's anything I don't like, I'm just like, kill it. Kill it with fire. And My brother just, always yeah. says death from above. So our first review this week um, is on Insidious 3. I wish you could answer me, Mom. Mr. Atkins said he'd fail me if I was even a minute late again. My mom died a year and a half ago. It's like sometimes I can feel her around me. Mom? 
You have to be very careful. If you call out to one of the dead, all of them can hear you. Right, okay. Um, basically, it's a prequel to the other two, because why not? <laughs> they clearly had a lot of backstory to fill in. So, at least from the other movies, who's an old ghost hunter, psychic, Jean Grey type woman, um, she's visited by a college woman who has mummy issues and she wants to talk. Her name's Quinlan for some reason. So she wants to talk to her dead mother, but she finds out that some guy with a lung cancer mask on his face is tormenting her, and she gets upset, and Elise decides that she has to save the day, only she decides not to, and then decides to save the day. And then the guy with the mask does various demony things, like just walks in shit, walks across various doors, smashes her chandelier, uses her laptop. That's the most evil part, when he shut her laptop so there's no light in the room, and then just walked out of the room completely. <laughs> and then, um, it's kind of like a, a pre, uh, a nice way to get people adjusted to Ghostbusters next year, because this team Ghostbusters is so awful, and immediately I was like, Ghostbusters 3, or Ghostbusters, the reboot, will automatically be five stars compared to this, so that's nice, you know. A way to lessen the stress of watching that movie. And then stuff happens, and they, they go to the dark ghost dimension, and it ends. <laughs> um, but on, on Twitter, Owen was saying that in the screen he was in, people were like genuinely quite scared and jumping. Did you not find any part of it scary at all? And what was the, re- the reaction from the other cinema goers towards it? There was there was some people in a heckling it at the start, which I found quite amusing. But then after a while, they stopped heckling it. So I have to assume that it was working for them. But he, right, here's the problem with movie. It's the problem with lots of horror movies nowadays. It's not scary. There's lots of loud noises, which automatically makes you go, what was mm. that? That's not scary. The thing is, though, I'm, scary subjective, sorry, isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, I we probably don't find it scary because we're a little bit older, but then it, like, the 14-year-old who sneak into it will probably think it's the scariest shit on the face of the earth. But I do agree with, with what you're saying. Like, a lot of horror films, we were talking about this last week, the more about the, look at all this gore and shit, than actually building up that kind of sense of dread. Yeah. That's re- that you really need to get a good scare. Um, yeah. I didn't yeah. like Insidious 2 anyway. It tried to do something really clever. but oh. And I, it was a lot of people I know really liked it, and I was just a bit like, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it's okay. I I mean, I, I appreciate they tried to do something different, but it was just lacking something. There was something about it that I just didn't connect with me. Maybe yeah. because I hadn't seen the first one, I didn't have any sort of <laughs> feelings for the But it's one of you don't have to see the first one to see the second one, do you know what I mean? It's not important, really. Not really, no. It, it kind of follows on, but it, basically, first one has a big cliffhanger, and then second one results in, like, two seconds, <laughs> and then waits an hour and a half and then goes back to it, so... It's like a really bad TV show. No, it's. I think think these movies is. I I, I really dislike them, but they are very competently made, um, directed reasonably good. 
uh, at things are okay. It's just, I, I just find them so hilariously awful. <laughs> but not in, not in the same way, something like the room, which is so awfully made that you laugh. Like, the guy who made first one, James Wong, he's really, really good at making movies. He just, the mm. movies he makes aren't really good, if that makes any sense. But, he tries. I have high hopes for Aquaman after saying that he's really, really good. I was say, didn't James Wan, didn't he do Fast and Furious 7? Isn't that the same guy? Yeah, yeah. Justin Chen did the 4, 5, and 6. Oh, no, he did. Yeah, he did loads of yeah. Fast and Furious. But, um, see, I've seen the second one, and I... Well, I, I, it's weird, I saw the second one, and then I saw the first one on Film 4, because the second one was on Netflix, and I quite like the second one, but... But do you do you personally think that the third one is necessary in the way that because we keep, seems to be going through a lot of a lot of horror at the moment seems to be this kind of prequel trend. So there's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, again. or Friday the Thirteenth, the beginning again. again. Exactly, <laughs> it's it's stuff that just gets rebooted every ten years. It's, Freddy Krueger, the high school years. Well, that's it. It's like <laughs> oh, how Freddy Krueger changed from a shy, sensitive teenager to like a child. Murderer. I don't want to believe that he was ever a good person. I just want him to be a fucking. Do you know what? I'm not going to get started. That's a whole different podcast. It's a whole different. Oh, join you for that podcast. You are yeah. welcome to join me for that podcast. Yeah. So, do you think it's personally necessary, Ian, or do you think it was just like a, a kind of cash grab? Really, this. In the same way that a lot of the paranormal activity movies seem to be, oh well, we can milk this for a bit more. That's I think those movies do. <laughs> this one, well, I mean, it's, it's written and directed by direct last two, so at least I'm assuming there's some intent for it to be good. The fact it's mm. not good is not surprising, considering Insidious. I know you like Insidious Part Two, and that's fantastic, but from my perspective, it was. <laughs> God awful to watch. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, again, competently made. I'm not criticizing direction or visuals or anything like that. It's just everything left over is terrible. But, um, with this one, problem is it's half Elise's movie because she's obviously was a Ghostbuster, and then for various reasons, like Kenny Rogers, her husband dying, gave up. And it's half the movie of this Quinlan character, so it's two movies combined, and they keep jumping lead character to lead character every five minutes, and so you don't get to actually know either of them properly. So, um... Okay. I don't think it's a cash grab. I mean, it'll make a decent amount of money anyway, so, but I think there was some intent for it to be good. I just don't think it's succeeded at all. <laughs> okay. So that's two thumbs down from Ian. Save your money, folks. <laughs> but I, but I would say if you want to, if you if you like the other two, you enjoy this one because it's not as good, but it's right. It's the same sort of movie. But if you want to see something where you laugh because you really like watching bad horror movies, you also enjoy it. So <laughs> it's two thumbs up if you like bad horror movies, and two thumbs up if you like the other two. But if you didn't like. Don't like bad horror movies, and didn't like the other two movies. It's basically seventeen thumbs down. When the pain finally kills you.
(laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we're going to move on to the UK box office figures. Yes, the box office figures. Um, We haven't done this for a few weeks, so um, we're going to make an attempt to to keep up with this because it's a good way of measuring, you know, what's hot and what's not in the UK. And usually, it's a it's a it's it's a similar story as to the US quite often. So to, this is of, as of last weekend, um, uh, the weekend of the uh, 29th to the 31st of May. At number ten, we have Danny Collins, which is the uh, new film from uh, Al Cappuccino. Um, well, sorry, as, as as my friend Adam always used to call him, uh, Al Cappuccino. Al Pacino, which uh, so far has made. Not <laughs> <laughs> its first week made um, two hundred twenty-five thousand um, at the box office. So oh, yeah, not not oh, that nice. much really. So possibly because Al Pacino, great actor, but he's not really a box office draw um, anymore. Yeah. So and it was a fairly yeah. low-key film. In at number nine is uh, Two by Two. I have no idea what that is. What um, the fuck? Oh, <laughs> is that cartoon? <laughs> oh, it's the Noah's Ark cartoon. Is it? Oh well, well that, that would make sense. I think yeah. it makes sense when you say it like that. Whoa, 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 back up. What? <laughs> I've never heard of this movie. I only heard about it because I was on Word and Nerd uh, not last Friday, Friday before, and um, it's mentioned, and I had to look it up, and I'm like, oh wow, they managed to turn a scary biblical story into a fun, you know, kind of thing. But it's one of these really cheap, like knockoff ones, you know, like um, it, it, oh, it made born Danny Collins. Like, well, yeah, because what kids like bright colours, they'll watch anything. We should this send that to Al Pacino, let him know that his movie makes less money than a low-budget knockoff kids version of Noah's Ark. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that this must have climbed because it's been on. Um, it's been on release five weeks, and uh, it's made two million, which isn't a massive amount, but it must have climbed into the top ten because. Oh my God. Um, so that's that's interesting. Maybe it coincided with the half term week, and more little kids came off, came up and watched it. Who knows? Yeah, but that's little trips. One for the little kids that they haven't let go. At number eight is Home, which is the the animated cartoon. That's the animated film that's been in for eleven weeks and has made twenty four wow. million. And that's yeah, that's done very very well, and it's still in the top ten. So again, school holidays probably oh. um, contributed to that. Um, I hope it's good. Two by two might replace it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this right. And number seven, um, in a new entry is Man Up, the Simon Pegg film we really, we reviewed last week, uh, which only made five hundred twenty-eight thousand. Um, and chances are that's not going to climb very far. I think. Possibly, possibly the reason for that is that. Uh, it wasn't ne- hasn't necessarily been released in optimum sort of romantic comedy season, and mm. I don't think anyone in the UK knows who Lake Bell is. So you know they'll know who Simon Pegg is, but I, I think they probably go, "Who's she? She's not a well known. She's not a well known actress." That could be a factor because I think a film like that will probably rely on the star power. Um, yeah. Really. Um, I've got Kieran Knight to do it. Yeah, yeah. if you've got someone more recognisable. Um, at number six is Poltergeist um, in uh, in its second God. week. Um, <laughs> at, it's, made, it's made three million. Um, by the sound of it, three million more than it should have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. But Jesus. yeah, but there you go. We we uh, pretty much destroyed that last week. Um, quite <laughs> rightly, by the sound of it. Um, at, num- at number five. Still hanging in there at its sixth week is Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah. You obviously know it being like the original one, 
I did watch this one. I got incredibly drunk, and I did think it was genuinely really good. So, because it is. I, I hate first one, but I thought this one was really good. So you know, Do you know, weirdly, I'm the other way around. I really but, loved the first one, and this one was good, but I it's not. It, there's just too much going on for me. Yeah, I can't. I'm, yeah, That's I'm, true. I'm the same it, as you, Chris. It, it did feel like a season for TV show jammed into two and a half hours, but. Yeah. Mm. But Chris, the important question is can it fight off two by two for next week? <laughs> uh, that's the movie you just I'm, don't know, digger. You just, I mean, they are marching two by two, so it's just a slow, like, advancement. Right, <laughs> can the event just kill a cute elephant? They can't, so. <laughs> Who knows, but it's made f- nearly 50 million um, at the UK box office, which is a hell of a lot of money. Wow. Um, so, that's yeah, good. for the UK. So that's brilliant, you know. All power to it. In at four in its second week uh, is Tomorrowland, um, which has made four million. Um, now I I talked about Tomorrowland on Fail Critics last week. I had my issues with Tomorrowland. I thought it was I thought it was a nice film and I thought it had a really good message, but it suffered from Damon Lindelof ending syndrome. Um, yeah. And uh, it the, it had a much stronger first half than the second half. And as I said on that on the other podcast, I don't know who that film's for. Because yeah. it feels like a retro sort of 70s Disney at live action that is too boring for little kids, <laughs> not edgy enough for older kids. Yeah. Adults won't enjoy it because it doesn't have the same charm. George Clooney's not enough of it to be the big star. There's a lot of things it doesn't yeah. do. But it's got yeah. some really, really cool ideas. But there's no audience for this, and that's one of the reasons why. Which is a horrible thing to say, but in many ways it's true. It, it because it's an original thing, but it's it's going to become one of those little cult films that people find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it because it, it's <clears throat> nothing at the box office, and in fact they cancelled Tron Three partly off the back of Tomorrowland sinking. Um. Good. Apparently. Well, oh, yeah, good. <laughs> but... I, I'll be honest. I really Yeah. See, I really like the look of Tomorrowland, and it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh, it looks really nice, that sort of thing. But yeah, I think you're right about the audience because that, for me, is what is I don't like about Super Eight, which is a bit controversial. That I could not no, get into Super Eight because I couldn't figure out who it was for. Yeah, it's no, a bit I, like a nostalgia I... trip. I, I do agree with you there. I, I watched Super 8 and I just thought, like, this isn't aimed at me because I'm bored, but it's not aimed at kids today because they would be bored too. So There is, so there is definitely similar DNA there, definitely, between the two. Mm. I would argue Super 8 is the better film, but they're both yeah. films that are about ideas and yeah. that retro, like you say, that retro nostalgia thing more than they are about actually being a complete package in different ways but there's the visually Tomorrowland is really good when it's you know it's got some fantastic ideas. Yeah. Brad Bird is great you know I'll take nothing away mm. from him it's not really his fault that this doesn't fully work and it's not bad at all it really isn't bad at all it's just not as amazing as it could or should or we thought it would be okay. um, it's yeah. definitely worth watching okay. um, mm. but at number three um, is right now my film of the year um, and it will definitely be in my top ten, without a shadow of a doubt, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Three weeks yes. in, yeah. yeah, yes, three weeks in uh, has made thirteen million, which is great. Um, I mean, it's just brilliant. 
I mean, there, there is there is no uh, other words for it. He's no, I, I, I seriously have to be honest. For me, that's the best action movie of last 20 years. I mean, maybe The Matrix, maybe, but just the pure quality, that's so far beyond yeah. anything I've seen in decades. I think, I think it's up there. I would agree it's definitely <laughs> one of the best in it a is long, my, long time. It I is agree. one of my favourite ever films. Amazing. I love it so much. It's and see, we're all in complete agreement on that. Like that says it all. There's no criticisms I can make for that movie at even slightly. Well, I think in in, in film review terms, it, it, the only other film that I've seen this year get such glowing universal praise yeah. was Whiplash. You know, that that's the only other film that I kept seeing get seeing get five stars, four and a half stars yeah. everywhere. Mad Max is just I've barely seen a review that's under four stars. For Mad Max, in terms of and and quite rightly because it's it's phenomenal, yeah. and it's... you know I've seen one negative review, I've seen one negative review, and even that went it's a gorgeous film. Yeah, yeah. There I'm you just go. Like, <laughs> why why be petty? Just 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 love it. Mad Max wants you, you hate to love this it. Movie, but visually it's really good. Yeah, oh. that's the sort of review every director wants to have at least. And, it, and, it, and it, again, it holds it holds like credence to my to my theory that I'm continuing to develop in that George Miller is one of the great underrated film directors mm. of our time. Yes. Um I'm, I'm on board with that. And he will it's get like, much I, more I, you know. Yeah, it's it's like I, I don't like Happy Feet particularly, but I do not think in any stretch it's a bad movie. I don't like yeah. it, but I think in terms of the effort put into it, even I can admit it's a really, really way constructive movie. And I don't say that about movies I don't like very often. So. But that's what's great about him, in that, you know, the, the same man who does Mad Max Fury Road did Happy Feet. I mean, yeah. it, it, and, babe. and Babe. What? And then, and then there was, of course, and it's been, there's been a lot of concept art leak for this lately. He was going to do Justice League, you know, oh, a, like 10 years ago. That. I mean, yeah. He, the, <laughs> you know, he could flip from incredible things. And it's, um, it's just, I'm just really glad that a film he spent literally about. 25 years trying to make turned out to be so good yeah. it's it's delightful and I really hope we get you know yeah. a few sequels which apparently are on the drawing board so oh. um, yeah yeah the other thing that is someone brought this up they said Hollywood's very ageist but he's 17 he made this movie and it's better than most that's movies made yeah. by Part is it's like you know for example, I'm just throwing up names like Zack Snyder who can't make a good action movie yeah or uh, and also, the actor was female, and they all said, oh, female, they can't do it. And it's sort of like, well, she's made the best actor's action movie in the last 20 years. Mm. So, you know, Hollywood, sexism, and ageism is bullshit. But, you know, mm-hmm. hey, let's give that Snyder more movies. He'll eventually yeah. make one that's not shit. Yeah. Mm. Maybe one day. Normally, I would begrudge number two, um, be, be, be beating... Um, Mad Max, but in this case, I want to make an exception because even though this isn't a better film, I thoroughly enjoy this. At number two in its third week is Pitch Perfect Two at fourteen million. It's made now. I'm going to unashamedly, you know, admit I love Pitch Perfect and and same. Pitch Perfect Two is not as good a film as the first one, but it was bloody good fun. So. I I freely admit that I'm really glad that that's at number two and it's doing so well because it's you know it's one of those things that I'm just glad it exists you know I really it's It's counter program so it's not 
it, it is competition for Matthew Max, but at the same time, it's not, so... Like, yeah. It's yeah. not like anyone who wants to see Mad Max is sort of like, Pitch Perfect 2? Oh, wow, I'll go see that instead. Yeah. Because mm. If there are people like that, fuck them, and, you know, they don't matter. So. <laughs> precisely, precisely. But no, no, number one, leading, leading the charge, um, is San Andreas. Uh, its first week made nearly five million. I mean, that was always going to do well. It's The Rock. Yeah. It's yeah. The Rock versus an earthquake. Yeah. And even though it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even though it's not very good, you know, the amount of times Emma's been to see it now means that it's going to break box office records. <laughs> I so. thought it was good. I enjoyed it. It was, it was nice. The Rock's are very likable, so he kind of grounds the film a lot, and it has some okay characters, and all the destruction's very nice. That working was through detectives, so there you go. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the box office top ten. We'll see how it looks um, next week or possibly the week after. We'll see. Awesome. So after that testosterone fueled section there by the boys, which I didn't say where, <laughs> Joran. You really, you said really pissed off. <laughs> I'm not really. <laughs> I'm just sitting here, just nodding, just going. Mm-hmm. But Emma, what's, Mad your Max. Thing, what's your opinion on Mad Max? I haven't seen it. Oh, you not need because- to. Not because I don't want to, it's just because I am extremely poor, so I only usually go see the films that I have to go see for this, because I can't afford to go see anything else. (laughs) But it's something that I want to go see. Um, And I really liked Pitch Perfect 1, but I haven't seen Pitch Perfect 2. Oh, that's that. So, our final review for today is comedy slash action thriller Spy starring Melissa McCarthy. I quit teaching and joined the CIA. I thought I was going to be this amazing spy, and I'm still just the same boring person I was. You play it too safe. I just hear my mom's voice. Just blend in. Let somebody else win. Making a wave isn't always brave. Brilliant. Give up on your dreams, Susan. Just to write that in my lunchbox. We've intercepted chatter that Rayana Boyanov knows where that nuke is. She knows the identity of all our agents. We need someone to find the bomb without being detected, but it can't be any of you. We need someone invisible. I'll do it. Uh, okay. Thanks, lunch lady. I'm serious. Don't let me down, Cooper. I will not. I will let you up. Stop talking. I will let you up. Okay, Spy is the latest effort from uh, comedy director Paul Fig and leading lady Melissa McCarthy. Previously, they've worked together on Bridesmaids and The Heat. Uh, <laughs> Spy takes place in the CIA and uh, concerns itself with Susan Cooper, who is the top CIA analyst and works closely with one of its uh, top international assets and spies, Bradley Fine, played by Jude Law. However, basically shit goes down and everyone's uh, CIA identities are exposed, meaning Susan is the only one who can go into the field as she's technically trained as an agent. Um, She has to go in to retrieve the identities and stop a nuclear warhead from being sold by an arms dealer played by Rose Byrne. And there are explosions and all kinds of fun comedy shit. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. Okay. No, I I ruined this into three for everyone, and you're not spoiling a single thing. (laughs) Well, because it's I I really enjoyed this, and I don't want it to be one of those things where people don't see it because I've basically gone, oh, this happens, oh, this happens. The interesting thing about Spy is that it's not quite what you probably think it's going to be. I think it is, and it isn't. Yeah, it's um. 
it's it's you, you know on the face of it, it it is that traditional kind of Melissa McCarthy comedy in that you know she's being quite brassy and and sarky and jokey and making a bit of a tit of herself but at the same time it's it's actually quite a competent action movie in in its own right and it's it i mean it, it's beautifully a spoof i mean it, it's you know i i thoroughly enjoyed this as well i i really did i laughed a hell of a lot it is a spoof. There's no two ways about it. It maybe wants to be slightly more than a spoof at times, but it's not. It is it is a spoof in many, but not a specific spoof. It's more a spoof of the spy genre with a strong feminist like through line, as you'd expect from Paul Feig, um, from you know, and it's very much you know of the cut from the same cloth as Bridesmaids. Um, you know, it's got Rose Byrne in it as well, who again is playing a bitch, and she's great. Um, she plays a bitch wonderfully well. But there is there is one genius revelation point about Spy, and it's not Melissa McCarthy. I think it's I not really going to go with this. You know where I'm going with this. It's not Rose Byrne. It's not Jude Law, who's very good as well as like a Bond yeah. style, you know, secret agent or Miranda. You know, who's Miranda? Yeah. So you take or leave her. Yeah. No, the genius point of Spy. It's the state. It's the state because the state. He's so good. Well, he steals the film. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He's not in that much of it, but when he is, he's brilliant because he basically plays the most intense spy ever, right? Who yeah. he's really shit at his job, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he basically, he's really, he's like this typical statement. He's like, he's talking like this all the time. And he's really getting pissed off with Melissa McCarthy because she, he's like, you're going to fuck this up. You're going to fuck up my mission. Yeah. Right. And he's out on a limb. He's like, he's like, you know, a few, he, 
he's told his bosses to fuck himself. He's going to sort this out himself, and he's out yeah. there. And then he'll say, "I've I've been places you you wouldn't even imagine." And she's like, "Okay." And he's like, "I jumped off a building." on fire in a car yeah. not the car on fire I was on I fire I was on like fire <laughs> and he just there's this whole scene where he basically lists about 10 things he's done and it, one of them my favourite one was um, my arm was severed and I put it back on with my yeah. other arm right <laughs> brilliant <laughs> he's just, yeah. he's just 10 he, he's a total joy oh, he is God. because he brilliantly knows how to send himself up because he'll do that and he'll talk about how intense and important his mission is and he'll bump into a door it's it's, it's brilliant yeah. you know he'll then just go bump into, bump into a waiter or something it's yeah he's he's the high point in a in a very very funny film actually yeah um, I would take it some doing mates. yeah um, it is that's it is. not difficult let's be honest well, I like well I, yeah, I, I, I'm a big Bridesmaids fan, but I think this quote leans kind of closer to the Heat, actually, because the Heat took what was essentially like a lethal weapon and did it with Sandra Bullock, who is the rare actress who can do really good dramatic and comedic. And then you put Melissa mm, McCarthy yeah. in it, and it was um, awesome. But I, I mean, because I love seeing more women in cooler roles and that sort of thing, and it was kind of great to see the the kind of array of female characters out there because it wasn't just Susan kind of being the only one there because you did have the amazing Rose Byrne as this brilliant kind of ultra selfish super bitch who has um, my my, fa- my favourite line is on the plane and that it's in all the clips and everything and she's just going Mrs. McCarthy says something like uh, well, you may you may never be as wise as an owl, but you'll always be a hoot to me. It's a shit, <laughs> you know, like a little. Bit. And then uh, Rosebud just very dead, deadpanly smiles and just goes, "What a stupid fucking toast! You're delightful." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, yeah," because they have the best chemistry in the whole thing. But it's like, I mean, you know, I I personally quite I like Miranda Hart, and I think you know, I'm like, oh, okay, she's nice, that sort of thing. There'll be people who can't stand her or whatever, but she actually acquits herself quite well in this even though she is kind of playing the type as like, oh, clumsy British awkwardness. And then you've got, you've got like Marina Backer in, in it, who's in it for a couple of scenes. Mm. And she's brilliant. And Alison Janney. And you've got all yeah. these brilliant yeah, wi- it, women doing fantastic roles. And it's definitely. amazing. There's some really strong women, female actresses in this playing small, but, you know, quite <laughs> small, but good good parts. Like you say, Alison Janney is the yeah. best. She's, she's like a female M. Um, from the Bond films, yes. um, and she's the big boss of the CIA. And then you've got, like you say, Marina Baccarin, who's, who's the the annoyingly like nice, hot female agent who's brilliant at everything yeah. and who's really sexy, and everyone loves that. And she'll come up to like Miss McCarthy and Miranda Hart and go, "Oh hi, how are you? Oh yeah, like this." And she's being really nice, and, like <laughs> Mary just, Sue. Yeah, and they're yeah, and they're like going, "Yeah, hi," like this, and they're thinking, "You fucking hate you." <laughs> It's and it's good, yeah. And it's it, it does have that, and it makes course, you laugh. I will, of course, be disappointed now if they don't speak like that in the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll be yeah. gutted. Because that's that's great yeah. dialogue right there. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Um, <laughs> I've pillaged it all. I'm really impressed by the action in this, mm. which is because it is it's not quite as good as Bond or Born or that sort of thing, but it's not far off. I mean, there are some proper serious dour faced action movies that are. Not as good as this. Well, there was, there was like, um, 
no, you're right. There was an interview with, with um, Paul Feig I read, and he basically said that one of the big things they decided at the beginning of this was that they wanted it to work on its own merits as an actual action thriller. Mm. Um, and it's, there's not, it's not really a thriller. It's very much an action comedy, but it, the action is, is proper. You know, it is, you know, proper choreographed fight scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's quite often there's a gag involved with them, but it actually works in the context of some quite born style yeah. stylistics and it's it's quite well done you know it is quite well done um in the in the comedy context of it all when it could have been a bit lazy and easy to just be cheap with i, I was quite impressed with that i think the only things i would say against spies that it is a bit too long um i think it could have yeah. lost about 10 15 minutes and you know not really missed a step there's there's the there's a really sort of shoot miranda He's a bit shoehorned in quite often. You could have lost Miranda and not lost anything from this film, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole extra little, tiny little subplot with 50 Cent as well, which was a bit of a flat <laughs> joke. We didn't, it was, you know. Um, I liked it. I thought it was, it was quite funny, but then I just like the idea of this, you know, you know, very uh, awkward British woman just being like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and tackle a rapper and just... Yeah, she just tackled 50 I, Cent on stage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which I love. I love that so much. Just to see him flying, just this big tough guy, just getting taken down, was like, they, yeah. But they extend that gag slightly too much. But it, 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 it's little <sighs> things. It's it's not a big thing. And it, I suppose the fact that the plot does a little bit cross, double cross, double cross, double cross to the mm. point at the end, you're a bit like, uh, all right, just settle down a bit, okay? You don't need to be <laughs> doing all this, you know, just. But but those are those are niggles. I think I think on the whole, it's very it's very proficient. It's the funniest thing I think I've seen Melissa McCarthy in ever. Quite honestly, um, yes, I'll agree you know, with that. Yeah. I'm not particularly a big fan of hers. I'll be honest, but it's probably because I keep seeing her in shit that's not very well written. Yeah. and this is this is. Oh, it's God. not that she's a bad performer. It's that she's in some shit, yeah. and this is actually yes. identity piece. Oh God, yeah, horrible. Oh, that, I mean, I. I, I I, mean, I, I don't like bridesmaids, but I think you know. I, I do agree that at least like she, her role in that made sense and it was decently written. It's just not really for me, but Identity Thief was. I say it's one of the worst things I've ever seen, but I did see Insidious Part Three today, so yeah. <laughs> no, Identity Thief is tripe. It is it is yes. tripe of the highest order, and it's you know, um, I haven't seen Tammy yet. Or the heat, precisely because I can't be asked. You know, really, the heat's really good. The heat is quite good. Well, I like Sandra Bullock, so I probably will watch the heat. And I dare say I will watch Tammy because I watch no, I watch anything, don't I? I watch crap all the time, so I'm bound to watch it at some point, so I can tell people not to. This is the curse of being me. Um, Yeah, but in this case, it's it's in this case it's it's without doubt one in my opinion one of her better films and it's got a really good cast it's well directed it's well written and it's funny i mean it's very funny yeah. so what more do you want yeah. really exactly i mean i thoroughly enjoyed it because i don't really go out and see comedies as daft as that sounds i'm much more of a i'll go see action i'll go occasionally see horror that sort of thing i don't really go out and see comedy films but since this was announced last year i was like oh okay this sounds good and when they kept adding cast to it i was like oh my god, it's Melissa McCarthy and Rose Byrne and, you know, Jude Law and Jason Statham, and I was thinking, oh my god, all these great actors, and it's one of those kind of stars align kind of things where you're just like, holy shit, they've managed to get these great casts with a great script, great director, and it's a really good film. I mean, it might be the best comedy out this year. It might be. I mean, it's certainly the most fun 
I've had in a proper sort of comedy film in a while. So I, I think it's I, going to be one of the better comedies of yeah of 2015. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Which you, which you, which is pleasant surprise to be quite honest. Yes. So basically, oh, so, Chris mean, won this week in terms of movies because I hated <laughs> what I saw and he loved what he saw. So yeah, okay. Helped. I have seen the <laughs> worst horror movie of the year. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You really think you're ready for the field? This week, I'm introducing a semi-recurrent section called Dead Meat, which, as I said before, is going to be almost a crash course on the horror genre. Why the horror genre? Because I like it. That's why. And you're going to like it too by the time I'm finished. <laughs> this week, um, it's it's an, basically an introduction to the genre and asking why horror, but without sounding pretentious and up my own arse. Oh, the very idea. The very it's idea. the horror film in itself. Oh yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with a quote as well. Get on this. This is from the horror film by Rick Warland, and it's basically just talking about the about horror and how it's always been part of our culture. So it goes: <clears throat> horror is universal. It has appeared in a variety of forms and media in most every human culture. In traditional cultures, demons, monsters, evil spirits, or the devil himself were imminent and deeply feared. At the end of the 19th century, the new motion picture medium joined the ongoing tradition of frightening narratives that run through mythology, painting, literature, popular theatre, and other cultural forms. So, you know, if you look, like, even look back at, like, the Bible, the Bible's full of demons, and, you know, it, mm. it's always been part of us. It's part of human nature to be scared. And the horror film, and horror in any form, allows us to safely explore what I think is deeply ingrained in us as humans and that's the fear of unknown and alongside that is the fear of death because everyone has their own beliefs about what happens when you die but no one really knows and that's I think that's scary to us because it's beyond our control so we like to try and explore these safely in any way we can and you know back you know hundreds and thousands of years ago people didn't have a way of you know, we talk about nightmares now, and there's always, well, that's your brain trying to tell you something. Back then, it, it didn't mean the same thing. Illness wasn't the same. You know, epilepsy wasn't the same. It, the only logical explanation these people come up with was, it's a demon. It, it's it's God's divine retribution. And that's really carried on, I think. And we just have a different way of, of talking about that now. The horror film, as well, is reflective of social anxieties. So... Good examples are, if you look at the 1950s, it wasn't really the horror film that was popular, it was kind of science fiction. So, in The Day the Earth Stood Still, Klaatu isn't an alien, Klaatu is a communist, because that's what was scary, the Red Invasion was really scary to 1950s America, and you had Joseph McCarthy, who was in charge of the House of Un-American Activities Committee, where they were dragging people in off the streets, convinced that they were communists, that there was an underlying threat in America, ready to take over, and... You know, he ruined people's lives, but the fear was there. It wasn't so much that the aliens are going to come from the sky. It was your neighbor could be one of them. Your children could be one mm. of them. And they look like everyone else. It was also, you know, it was after the war. It was after Hiroshima. It was after the nuclear bomb. So that's where you get your whole, like, the creature of the Black Lagoon from and all that kind of thing. It was what is, what's going on? Science has gone too far. Science is meddling with the human condition now. And what is the... What's the reaction to that going to be? So that's how it was explored back then. Also, if you look at the 1980s body films, 
body horror films like the fly and stuff this is when we were really learning about aids and what it did and it's a horrific disease and you know a way to explore that was also through horror you talk about the thing and you know the thing is about this invasion this really personal violation of your not just your soul but your flesh and your blood and you can't control it and you don't just die you know you suddenly you've got these open gaping moors on your arm you know there's fucking legs coming out of you and there's nothing you can do and it's painful and it's uncontrollable and this is you know like i said it's it's how we explore our fears through this medium when we look back at the the early horror films you know from the very first horror films i believe is by george melies and it was called the house of the devil or the house it was something like that or the old dark house and it was really short and you know it was the devil and bats and that kind of thing but then we had the german expressionism films we had nosferatu and the um, cabinet of dr calgary and then you know you go into your 1930s and you've got the you know the cat people and white zombie and i worked with a zombie and that kind of thing and during the 1940s there weren't many horror films because obviously the war was going on and the horror you could see every day going on around you nothing was going to compare to that so they weren't they weren't very popular 1950s, like I said, with the science fiction. And then in 1968, the Motion, Motion Picture Association of America really, really eased up on their restrictions. And in some ways, I believe that really gave birth to the, the modern horror film. And to me, personally, and people can argue with me all about this if, if they were like, I'm open to discussion on this, but the modern horror film for me was born in 1968 because we had Rosemary's Baby and we had George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, for me, it's one of those, you know, almost singular moments in the genre because there'd been, there'd been zombie films before, but the zombie films before were really, you know, it was about voodoo and black magic and it was all set in, like, Jamaica and, you know, Barbados and Bahamas. This brought horror right to your front door and it introduced the idea that zombies feasted on human flesh and that is, I think, really, really important if you look at all our zombie films now, there's not, there's not, you know, is the many that have this kind of bewitching element to them? Maybe Wreck, because it's a demonic possession, but the people, the zombies in Wreck still feast on human flesh. So that's that's really important, and you know, I think a lot of people, if you ask them what their favorite horror film is, it's almost certainly going to be made after 1968, because there, you know, there was a lot less restrictions. You could show more things, but it didn't necessarily mean that you have to. I mean, a lot of people playing about modern-day horror films saying that they're just... It's all about the gore. And, you know, back then, there was more like you had to be clever about what you were showing. You had to be clever how you were scaring people because you couldn't show certain things, you know. And if you think about Rosemary's Baby, I know um, my mum... It was one of the very first horror films I watched all the way through. And my mum was convinced that at the end you saw the devil baby's face and stuff. And you don't. And it's that power of suggestion. People really, really believe that they saw this demon child and you don't. And it's all about the power of suggestion. So, yeah, like I said, we are allowed to explore certain things through horror films. I have another quote here because I'm just that goddamn prepared from horror and the cultural moment. And it's talking about the universal anxieties and the grand narratives of horror. And it lists them as social social alienation, the collapse of the social and spiritual order, a deep crisis of ev evolutionary identity, the overt articulation of humankind's innermost imperatives, and the need to express the implication of human existence in an appropriate aesthetic. So, it, you know, like I said, it's it's all about exploring in a safe way. I mean, if you one of the things I talked about in one of my in my dissertation was about the zombie film. We all have those times when we think i could kill my boss i could kill so and so 
And, you know, no sane fucking person is going to do that. But, you know, if your boss was a zombie, then not only would you be able to kill your boss, but you'd kind of be a hero for doing it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it's good and it's fun. And it's almost like, why do we like being scared? What is it? It's, it's about the adrenaline. It, it, you know, it's it's that kind of... It's a safety thing. Why do people fucking jump out of planes? It's to get your heart racing. It's part of what makes us feel alive. Mm. And, you know, at the same time, we, as humans, we it's you can't look away, can you? And this really feeds into scopophilia, which is the visual pleasure that you get from looking. There's a whole theory about male gaze and stuff like that, which I'll go into in a later edition of Dead Meat, if anyone really wants to hear about it, and how the camera p- positions the audience as male. So it will linger on the female form as, as we're all male. Mm. And this is where the whole scopophilia thing comes into. It's erotic. And, you know, you hear about that a lot in, like, the whole torture porn genre and things like that. So that kind of that kind of pleasure of looking really feeds into horror, especially the last couple of decades where we're almost positioned as the bad guy sometimes. And it's mm, kind of secretive. Yeah. And if you think about, like, you know, Scream and things, Halloween, especially the opening shot to Halloween when you are, you're Michael Myers and you're creeping up to the house and you're looking in the windows and you can see your sister having sex and you're grabbing the knife and you're going up the stairs. It wants us to feel that. And that's really important. It wants you to, it wants you to put, it puts you right there. It's really important, that shot. There's only one cut in that opening shot of Halloween as well, um, which is important. It's when the mask goes black for a little bit. That's when the cut happens. It's it's just two long continuous shots, and it it's just horrors. And I've said this so many times. Horror is so subjective. It's what you find scary. So it's it's not not every horror film is going to be universally successful because not everything not everything is scary to everyone else. And I've said this many many times before. 10, 15 years ago, what really scared me was getting stabbed by some scally on the street with a knife. Now it's not. Now it's losing my son. So those types of films where we really, you're put in someone's shoes where you have experienced a loss, that lack of control really scares me that I could lose my son and I can't control that and then I would have to live the rest of my life without him. That is terrifying to me. But of course, to someone without a child, that necessarily won't be the scariest thing. They might be scared of fucking, you know, demon clowns crawling out of fucking sewers, which is also fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's sub- true. It, yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's subjective, and it's subjective, but it's also universal mm. because everyone's fucking scared of something, and everyone's gonna die, and none of us control it. And this is like it's a safe space. And it's always been around, and it's always going to be around, whether fucking cinema could suddenly die out in a hundred years, and in a thousand years, you're still going to have people huddled around a campfire telling you the ghost stories, because we want to be scared. It's part of our human condition. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think it's like catharsis, and it um, helps channel all of the dark kind of shadows of our mind that we can't process, or we don't want to process, or we don't want to see. Um, You know, you were talking about the male gaze. Yeah. Uh, have you read Men, Women and Chainsaw? By Carol J. Clover? Yes. I have indeed. I have <gasps> I read... love that book. Um, okay, I'm not going to go too much into it, but I do yeah. have a problem with her essay, Her Body Himself, especially okay. the last couple of years. Um, I can, like I said, I can always talk about it in a future future mm. podcast if anyone's yeah. interested in hearing it. I, Absolutely. I understand the point she's trying to make and I understand her basis. And my problem is, is that, okay, just dumb it down a lot. She basically says, this is Laurie Strode, and Laurie Strode survives Halloween because of X, Y, and Z, because she's, she's, she's 
you know, handy and she's she's virginal and she's bookish and she's quiet. Laurie Strode yeah. might survive Halloween. She does not fucking save herself. Sam Loomis saves Laurie Strode. And yeah. then she makes this big point about it. And at the end she goes, but it doesn't matter that Laurie doesn't save herself. It matters that she tries. And I'm like, I kind of feel like she spent a lot of time in that article making the point that it was really important that these women save themselves. But then she defeats that point because yeah. she acknowledges that Laurie did not save herself. So a man came along, and not just a man, a man who's a doctor, a position of power in society, who is respected as such. Yeah. So, I, and like I said, it's a good article. It makes a lot of valid points, and that was really my entry into the world of horror theory. Yeah. But I don't necessarily agree with it all. No, no. Um, see, it was my entry as well, but um, I, I, I get what you mean, because she does spend a lot of time building up that kind of final girl archetype. That is so prevalent throughout modern yeah, I mean, horror cinema, and then she just goes, "Oh, it doesn't matter that she doesn't do this." I'm like, "No, a, a proper final girl should do it on her terms." Exactly. If you, I mean, obviously we have really big examples that contradict that. Like, Wes Craven deliberately created the character of Sydney in Scream to go against the final girl. She has sex. Mm. You know, she's she hasn't. You know, she's all these type of things that go against what Carol Clover's saying. And like you said, it's it's the archetype now we see it in slasher films all the time even now and it's kind of like at the same time it's 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 always a man stalking a woman we don't talk about in horror theory about like okay what about the time when men are being stalked like in hostel i know yes, i know they've got the whole, i know we've got the whole torture porn thing and that's a whole separate issue i think it's not we don't say well you know there's men killing men there's there's americans killing foreigners what does that say what is that trying to tell us about our society yeah. now no we got caught up on oh it's so violent it's so violent in a sexual way oh the splits of blood are like porn mm. you know that kind of thing but you know mm-hmm. we do get really stuck on poor little helpless blonde girl being stalked by a big man with a knife and she's gonna you know man up and kill him mm. why can't she have that strength from the beginning and exactly. understand the journey is important for these horror characters because that's how you connect with them but i you know we're talking about the... films who are 30, 40 years old now. Yeah. I mean, do you know the one thing that I do love? And I've, I saw it, I've seen it recently, and I love it because it kind of rebuilds the final girl thing. Because I agree with, you know, we focus so much on, you know, the passivity of women in horror, and it's just like they allow things to happen to them rather than being active. Um, but then you, if you, have you ever seen Your Next? I haven't, you know. I really haven't. It, it is really so. worth it because the main sort of girl in it is a character called Erin, and she's an Australian. She's the Australian girlfriend of an American guy, and they all go into uh, him and his family go to like a family retreat thing in the woods, and they start getting hunted down by uh, masked killers. And Erin uses her survival skills to yeah. not only does she like save people she just carves the fuck out of the bad guy i mean she is heroic and she is amazing and it is so worth watching why is it when right okay i know there's a whole fight flight or flight or fight thing but Mm. you know if i was i was walking down the street like there's a garage around the corner from mine and i go there on my own all the time and there's a bunch of sketchy flats on the corner if i was walking down the road and some fella came out with with a knife I wouldn't be all like, oh, no, don't hurt me. I would pick up the nearest fucking thing on the ground and smash his bleeding face in. Exactly. But it's in the horror films, it's like they have such a dilemma. Like, why doesn't that... They either run or they're like, oh, I don't... Oh, should I get this weapon? Like, that's not... It's fight or mm. flight. You either run like you are fucking... Like, you are being chased by a mass murderer. Run for, like you are fucking Usain Bolt. Or pick something up and fucking hurt him because he's not going to stop. You can't... 
You can't like fucking yeah. talk to these people and talk them down. He wants to kill you because he's a psychopath. And that's another thing. This whole idea of psychopathy on a film is, is really scary. I mean, if you've read John Ronson's The Psychopathy Test, he talks a lot about the rehabilitation of psychopath that goes on in society. Mm. And my brother did um, criminology and he did, he studied the difference psychopathy and sociopathy. The only real difference he says is that sociopaths are made through something that happens. Psychopaths are born and you can't, you can't rationalize with them. You can't talk to them. They don't understand. And not every psychopath turns out to be a killer. But when we're watching it in a horror film, I don't want to see, I don't want to know that, okay, so Freddy Krueger's the bastard son of a thousand maniacs. So fucking what? I don't care. It was much mm. more interesting in the beginning when I didn't know the Halloween remakes. For, to, oh, uh, yeah. Michael Myers' mum was a stripper and he was beaten up. I don't give a fuck. I liked it better yeah. when he was an innocent six-year-old child. That scared me more than... because it, And it also just puts this kind of like... This stereotype on people who do come from those types of homes. You know what I mean? Exactly. Not everyone's a bad fucking yeah. person. Like American Psycho, Patrick Bateman, he had money. He was good looking. He had a good life and he was still twisted as fuck. Isn't that scary? Yeah. But we don't. We don't. That, that's scary. Of course, it is. But you know. It's the, but it's the need. To, it's the need to explain. Exactly. It's the need to explain and rationalise something that can't. That be can't be rationalised. Exactly. And, and that's that, that's the that's the crucial. That's the key of it. And but ironically enough, what that does is make something less scary. Exactly. And and, and by the by attempting to try and rationalise why Freddy Krueger does what he does, you know, to give him character and to and to make to increase the horror you're actually taking away because you know you're robbing him yeah, yeah like menace and his power because, because the... he isn't just a, a shadow in the corner of your eye no he's he's, he's real flesh and, blood, it... and that's scared exactly. that's not as scary that's the thing in you know in the real world not everyone has fucking rational some people are just fucking crazy mm. some people yeah. just do things because they have no impulse control and that's a fact of life and by ignoring that on cinema which, where we should be able to explore these fears in a safe environment it's just going no it's all okay everyone's got a reason not everyone has a fucking reason there's not always a reason for the bad shit that happens to us it's a it's a cool motive it's still horrible things happening you can't excuse yeah. it no, ex- exactly, but, you know, like I said, we can, I would like to talk more about the male gaze, and I'd like to talk more about mm. the final girl theory, and I'd like to talk more about slashes and monsters and everything separate, and yeah. I'm more than willing to do that if anyone wants to listen to my no, fucking ramblings on horror I'm, I'm so tuning in for this. Yeah, I'd love to do, like, podcasts and stream, to be honest. Um, the best horror movies I've seen, so... I think, just... I was just going to wrap this section up with a few little points. To me, if you are, if you just, you know, you're starting to watch horror films and you would like, you know, a couple of films that you really, the classics, my suggestions would be, um, if you want to go really old school, The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary is German, a German film from like 1921, I think, maybe 1920. It's excellent for the way it's shot. It looks fucked up. Really good introduction. Then you are talking about Night of the Living Dead, George Merrill, 1968. Rosemary's Baby, Roman Polanski, 1968. Then you've got Halloween, which I believe is 1978, and that is John Carpenter. And then it might not be considered a classic by most people, but The Evil Dead. Sam Raimi in his finest 80s video nasty splatter gore. It's just, it's, they're my top picks for the classic horror film. So I'd like to wrap up by asking you guys, what's your favourite scary movie? <laughs> I have three I can't decide on. Go on, I'll, I'll allow it. Okay, they're all joint, but for different reasons. So I'm going to write these down. I'm going to do a poll at the end when I okay. finish this and find out what came out on top. Go on. Okay. <laughs> um, 
one of them is Attack the Block. Oh my god, I love Attack the Block. Exactly, because it, it deconstructs oh, horror so and it changes it up and it's brilliant. It. Who I, I, I didn't it. feel any. I fucking loved Attack the Block. I thought I was street for about three weeks after that. Yeah. I well, do you know that. one thing is that you were talking about, oh, you know, the fight or flight thing. That is one thing I do love about that film. In that yeah, you, do, do you remember the 14 teenage girls when they get attacked by the thing? Yeah, they. They can handle the shit better than the boys. They're just like, yep, let's just kill it. And they just go for it. And I'm like, that is the sort of message you want in the, yeah, you can be girly and feminine and that sort of thing. But don't fuck with me. Get killed for it. Stuff. Yeah. Exactly. They will fuck you up with an ice skate. They will kill you if you try anything. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm in. I love this film. Um, so there's that. I I really like Psycho, so Hitchcock, because I'm a kind of Hitchcock fan. Um, and I really got into it when I was like 16, 17. And uh, yeah, because that's the first... That, well, it's not the birth of the slasher film, because that was Peeping Tom, I think, in 65, 64. It, it depends, yeah. I mean, Psycho came out... When, what year was Psycho? Was it... Was it 68? 60. 60, yeah. yeah. 60. It's based on... Psycho's based on the crimes of Ed Gein in a roundabout. Well, the same way the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on well, a true story, it's based on Ed Gein. Well, yeah, I mean, and Psycho is actually... Well, yeah, Psycho's based on a book which was based on... Which was, Yeah, it was the, the book about Ed Gein. Yeah, um, which the, book's, the, the book's even more messed up. Because um, oh, Ed Gein was fucked up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Ed Gein. Had to be a special kind of fucked up to make like a bowl of nipples and shit like that. Imagine having oh, made no. round nipple, oh, nipple, wolf well, <laughs> nipple chips. Get them the heart, they're lovely. Well, that's it. Just... Life of Brian there for anyone who was listening to me. <laughs> I'm so happy with that. The Life of Brian reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so there's yeah. I, I, lo- I love horror films. So it's Attack the Block, Psycho, and. This is a really recent one, and people might go, "Oh, it's not really a horror." It is a horror film. Is uh, Cabin in the Woods? <gasps> Loved it because it, again, it's a deconstruction of the horror thing. And because I got kind of obsessed with, because when I got Men, Women, and Chainsaws, I was doing my GCSEs and I just read it voraciously. And people thought I was weird, and I was like, "Oh, I don't care." Um, but it, I quite like it, and it completely deconstructs those archetypes that run throughout. Films that if you look through, like, you know, Halloween, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, all that sort of thing, the idea of um, if you have sex, you will be punished. If you're what they class as a whore, you'll be punished. You know, teenage trans directions, that sort of thing. And Cabin in the Woods just kind of completely inverts those things. And the idea of horror being a social entity is possibly summarised in my favourite scene from Cabin in the Woods, which is when the... Japanese schoolgirls defeat the evil demon oh, by, by singing. singing. Yeah. I know, do you know, I love that because not only is it like, oh yeah, these girls managed to do all that without anyone's help, and then it's the pullback, and then you've got the two technicians, and one of them just screams, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, all the little <laughs> Japanese girls, I'm like, they didn't do anything, and yet I'm laughing because it's so funny, but uh, yeah, so I, I can never decide between those three, but I love them, so yeah. Tony? I've got two. My first one is The Shining. Oh, um, that's yeah, that's great. that that's just like top of the list for me. It's one of my favourite films at all, really. Mm. Um, yeah, because Stanley Kubrick is my favourite director. It's not my favourite Kubrick, but it's it's my favourite horror simply because it's I watch it religiously every Halloween, and simply because it's <laughs> just I love what I love about horror, and I I I think I love the chiller side of horror more than I do the actual horror gore kind of horror 
because I get more mm. out of the, the chiller side. I like I like not knowing what's really going on. And if there's ever a film that you don't really know what it all means, it's The Shining because it's it's a puzzle and it's a puzzle that you every time you watch it you see something new or you you look at something in a different way and it never quite adds up and that's the whole point it doesn't quite fully can make complete sense and that's what's terrifying yeah. about it because it's it's dreamlike in many in many respects it's twisted and it's it's operating on a different level of reality and the the very fact that people have made documentaries about how Room two three seven. Yeah, that's so good. There's yeah, and there are others about how The Shining mm. has in, entire coded hidden messages about goodness knows what. The f- that's all bollocks, quite honestly. The fact that, that people <laughs> can do that is amazing, and yeah, it's just it's the supreme, you know, um, of of that for me. The other one for me, along similar lines, is the Blair Witch Project. Because I just think that's again, it's for me the tr- true horror is what you don't see and what you imagine and what it does to the imagination. That's why I like the Babadook so much recently because it's um, it it's always it's always what you imagine is is going to happen to those people is worse than actually what would. And that's... with Blair with Blair Witch, that's the whole point in that you know you are left to imagine and hear and and at the very ending obviously the very well known ending you don't know what happens to them and that's mm. that's the point and that's the scare that's that's what scares me yeah it's, it's like you said it's it's you can always imagine some ten times worse I would say after Babadook though I did walk around the house trying to make the noise like the whole because what else are you going to do at 2 o'clock in the morning except scare the shit out of your brother yeah yeah, or, or your small child. <laughs> you know, he sleeps through anything, so it's fine. I'm not a bad mother yet. It's plenty no, of time to ruin him later. <laughs> but yeah, those, those are my two. I would also give a shout-out to Paranormal Activity as well, which is a much maligned mm. film. I really like the first one. The first, I love the first one. I the think... first one is brilliant. It Do you know what? Brilliant. I watched the first yeah. movie when I was like, I was seven months pregnant with Freddie, and I watched it, and then <laughs> I kept waking my then husband up to take me to the toilet and we had an ensuite in our flat because I was absolutely fucking terrified. <laughs> About three days, I could not sleep. It was so... that It's that cold corner of your eye, blink and you'll miss exactly. it. And I really got That's this sense point. of this impending fear. Like, I really felt like this is getting worse. It's And as the, the activity built up on screen, I felt like my anxiety got higher and higher yeah. and I was almost like tensing up more and more. And it, yeah, I, I agree with that. I really do like paranormal activity. Um, come on, Ian, what's your favourite scary movie? Right, I have two. God, um, no one can answer a simple bleep. No, no, no. This one's actually cool. on. um, First one is um, Dawn of the Dead, as um, me and Tony did a yeah. podcast on that. Not so much scary, but just most entertaining of horror movies I've watched. Probably one called Pieces from like the 1980s. I'm guessing none of you have seen it. Pieces? It's, yeah, yeah, I've never heard of it. No, I mean, it's basically, um, it's blatantly was made in Italy and then redubbed into English because none of the dialogue makes any sense. It has a five minute sequence where two people play tennis <laughs> over and over again. It has the red herring of a guy who the movie wants you to think is the killer, but he's 15 years too young because the movie starts 30 years ago. Uh, it has a gardener with full beard who randomly attacks people with a set of garden shears and then disappears completely. And 
the killer for some reason walks around wearing lipstick the entire movie like 1980s politics I guess but it's just the most terribly awful horror movie you've ever seen but so entertaining because it's just so awful in every conceivable way so but Dawn of the Dead um, it's not paranormal activity but it, I, I like Dawn of the Dead so I'm going to go with that one it's like the best and Pieces is the worst that I enjoy. So. Awesome. <laughs> the horror genre is a goldmine for stupid <laughs> films. Um, if you enjoyed Dead Meat, and let's face it, you probably did, um, and would like to hear more, you can go give Jumpscare a listen. They are on Twitter, at Jumpscare UK. They, are, they do horror, alternative, they're in alternative culture, do gaming, that kind of thing. They've Recently started, but they've got a lot of followers. Podcasts every week, and they've got an upcoming Shark Week on 6th of July. So give them a follow. Mm-hmm. But I will be back in a few weeks as well, if you want. If you don't, tough, I'm coming back anyway. So, <laughs> um, so that's all for this evening. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, if you want, at Crushinator2. You can send me abuse. You can tell you me do. how awesome I are. What? I are, I are, I am weasel, okay? I am weasel. Um, (laughs) I would like to thank my guests this evening and give them a chance to hoard themselves out for you. Tony, pleasure as always. Listen to that in her voice, pleasure as always. (laughs) Where can people follow you? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, yeah. If you're listening to us, you know about Black Hole Cinema on Twitter. Um, always, and we're on comment. Facebook. Yeah, and on Facebook, always comment. You know, tell us what you think. You know, tell us how much you don't like Emma and what she does. I hope listen. Yeah, it's fine. She won't, she won't listen. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. genuinely, and, uh, I'm a queen, and that's it. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah. I'm probably going to get loads of abuse this week and I'll be crying going, I'm not doing it anymore, people are mean. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be going, they don't mean it. Um, they don't. People are bastards. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. There we go. Alienate all our listeners, Chris. Thank you very much. Um, I said people. People okay. who are listening to this are lovely. Good. Nice save. Um, you can find me at Black Hole Writer on, on Twitter. Um, so do hit me up. Yeah, and um, that's about the size of it. And thank you, Ian, despite the earlier demonic possession. It was nice to have you on the show. Cool. And people can follow you on Twitter at the Zedmore Show. I guess the actual one would be I underscore A, a underscore Austin, I guess. That's the current one. But if they do, I'll just type random nonsense if they stop following me. So. Uh, yes, if you want some <laughs> random nonsense, Ian is... Head over to Ian and Chris, as always, my partner in crime. It would seem. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was a really that was a naughty giggle. <laughs> I always have so much fun on here. It's awesome. It's the best. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at higher underscore boy. I co-host the fan friction podcast with Mr. Tom East. We do all things kind of fanfic and uh, fandom and media and yeah we read disgusting things that people send us so yeah if you want your piece of absolutely degrading erotica read out just send me a message and I promise that Tom will read it. So for um, all of us at Black Hole Cinema thank you and remember just a bit of advice if someone asks you are you a god you say yes. Good night. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.